Seltzer Kings podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Don't be ridiculous, Gavin. Episcopal priests can't exercise a demon. The devil's not leaving some little girl because of some king wanted to bone other women. Yes. The following podcast contains... You used to be a kind, loving man, and now you're a foul-mouthed monster. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When the devil's agent called up to pitch you a blockbuster movie and you turned him down, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 380, The Devil Goes Hollywood, and it's part one of Spooktacular 2022. This week, we're talking about the movie that made the satanic panic possible. Stay tuned. Be what the hell we think a podcast is brought to you by the infernal names all the kings princes and dukes of hell in one easy package are you looking to strike a deal with the devil but confused about which name to invoke worry no more with the infernal names because they're here to help just download our convenient app from the app store or google play and slap it in the middle of your black altar and let the infernal names do the rest no more laborious translations from latin no more digging through sheets of papyrus or struggling through dense tomes of arcane lore in a dark library just click and go with infernal names from Abaddon to Yo Lei Wang. When it comes time to invoke a being of power from the Nether Realms, just open infernal names and a vein, and we'll take it from there. I went to check it out. The manager of the National Theater in Westwood says that there indeed are at least a dozen people who faint or become ill during every showing. But the Exorcist is still drawing sellout houses for every performance, complete with lines around the block. I spent an evening in the lobby just to see if people really do come stumbling out in the middle of the picture, as reported. They did, so I asked them why. It just scared me to death. Things just like this just, it just scared, really scared me to death. I'm just nervous. Do you remember what particular scene it was that... Uh, did when she was in, what was it? When she was in a room, the doctors came in, and she was, when, I guess it was when she was talking the devil's voice. Oh... Oh, God, I can't believe it. Are you going to go back in and see more of the movie now? Probably, yeah. What are you going to do right now? I don't want to see it, but my curiosity is killing me. I have to see it. It is important for you to know. Is it really? Well, I think it is. That when I was a little kid... I believed with all my heart that the devil was real. Of course he is. Every Sunday morning, every Tuesday witness scene, every Wednesday fellowship, every Thursday Bible study, and every Friday fish fry told me this was true. We took Saturdays off for college football in those days and Mondays off for Howard Cosell on Monday Night Football. Their opponents, the St. Louis Cardinals. A gone record, in fact but a team that is capable of troubling a better team and maybe even winning 
witness their upset victory over the Minnesota Vikings. To tell you now about the St. Louis Cardinals, Andy Don Meredith. About the other five days of the week, the devil existed. He was an active force in the world, and the devil, and I cannot stress this is enough, was bad. Wow, that is so deep. All that being true at the same time, my faith and the faith I was raised in, the devil was also kind of a... He's a little bitch. Because all he could do was just tempt you to do bad stuff. He, he couldn't make you do anything. I mean, if you believed in... Uh, Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so... Because Jesus had your back, and if you trusted Jesus, you never had to worry about the devil making you do things like steal that Snickers bar from the checkout stand or uh, touch yourself in the bad place. And if you happened to do any of those things, it was because you were not right with Jesus, and if you got your sitting ass right with Jesus, then Jesus would have you covered. We cool? We're cool. The devil, and that's what just just what we called him. I mean, we didn't call him like Satan or Beals or anything. He was just the devil to us. Was a spiritual force, according to the precepts of the Baptist Church, circa 1974, Etowah, Tennessee. Demons were things and pigs that Jesus cast out in the Bible, but their asses had all been dealt with when Jesus was resurrected, and we didn't need to worry about it because we had Jesus. The only real evil left in the world was in the hearts of men and the Georgia Bulldogs. All that could be fixed by you just being cool with Jesus. Thing is, though, maybe they were wrong. Because the devil, Satan if you like, Lucifer, Old Scratch, or Carl Jankowitz if you grew up with him, had set something in motion that was going to make the world say, He's real! And he's spectacular! In a way that we are still dealing with today. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was getting himself a high-powered Hollywood agent and, and then uh, starring in a blockbuster movie that would shape how America thought about him for the fifth, next 50 fucking years. I wish I could get the name of that agent because, uh, you know, the old bastard, he isn't budging on even a hint of the name because the devil is like that sometimes. If you're wondering what the fuck I'm talking about, well, it all started right here. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is another world. The world of darkness. Nobody expected it. Nobody believed it. And nothing could stop it. There are no experts. You probably know as much about possession as most priests. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. I'm telling you that that thing upstairs isn't my daughter. Now, I want you to tell me that you know for a fact that there's nothing wrong with my daughter except in her mind. You tell me you know for a fact that an exorcism wouldn't do any good. You tell me that! Well, technically, it did begin three years earlier in 1971 when Williams Blatty, Blatty's book titled The Exorcist hit store shelves. Blatty graduated from my alma mater. He dropped out of college. I did not drop out. I ran out of money, 
and I had to transfer. San Diego Bartending College Certificate of Attendance. Best choice I ever made. Anyway, Blatty went to Georgetown University in the 1950s when being a Jesuit school meant uh, people actually believed in that Catholic bullshit, which was not the case when I went there. Even the Jesuits were atheists by that time. And Blatty picked up this little story about a kid in Maryland who uh, allegedly had the... Uh, and the family had to call in some priests to get the devil out. <laughs> it's funny when you think about it. Usually when a priest comes around a young 14-year-old boy, they're, they're there to put something inside of him. Dave! Dave, no! Fine, fine, fine. No more priest jokes. The true story, as Blatty heard it, and I am quoting now from the Skeptical Inquirer, quote, Blatty saw an August 1949 article in the Washington Post titled, Priest Frees Mount Rainier Boy Reportedly Held in Devil's Grip by one Bill Brinkley. It was about an exorcism formed on a 14-year-old boy from Mount Rainier, Maryland. As the story goes, the family of this boy, referred to pseudonymously as Roland Doe or Robbie Mannheim, started hearing strange rappings and scratching noises from his bedroom walls. Objects would fly across the room, and allegedly, Roland's bed moved when he was asleep. All classic poltergeist phenomena. The family, or at least his mother, believed that these going-ons were the work of Roland's recently deceased aunt Tilly, who was a spiritualist and had taught the young boy how to communicate with spirits through a Ouija board, unquote. Damn you, Hasbro! Anyway, yada, 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 strange shit, medicine says nothing was wrong, God stuff, and the devil got cast out. And yada, 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 that is it. Strange ass aside, that can only be true in a story like this, in 2021, the real name of the boy who was the inspiration for The Exorcist was, was revealed... And this is where it gets cool because according to the Guardian, quote, the U.S. magazine, the Skeptical Inquirer, named the then 14-year-old boy previously known as Roland Doe who underwent exorcisms, exorcisms in Cottage City, Maryland and St. Louis, Missouri in 1949 as Roland Edwin Hunkler, who died last month, a year before his 86th birthday after suffering a stroke at home in Marriott'sville, Maryland. In his adult life, Hunkler was a NASA engineer whose work contributed to the Apollo space missions of the 1960s and who patented a technology that helps space shuttle panels withstand extreme heat, unquote. Yeah, the kid who started the whole fucking exorcist story was a legit rocket scientist, and he spent the rest of his life totally paranoid that people would figure out that he was the kid who started the whole fucking exorcist story. Praise Satan! Praise Satan! The book was a bestseller and was promptly picked up by Warner Brothers, who put the movie of the same name into production, with Blatty writing the screenplay. Now, I could go into details about the casting and choices of directors, but this is not a Hollywood podcast. This is a podcast where we're talking about the satanic influence and the legend that the devil was on set for The Exorcist. Although, from what I hear, he uh, threw a temper tantrum and refused to leave his trailer. Give me my agent! Because the filming was rife with all sorts of incidents that some people believed were caused by dark powers. Cinemascholars.com sums up the happenings quote according to numerous sources including lead actress ellen burston as many as nine deaths had been associated with the exorcist this includes the stillborn death of a cameraman's child the death of a security guard and even the passing of linda blair's grandfather unquote well yes but he was really old the film's director william friedkin related some more Strange happenings, as quoted from the same article, quote, 
There were only a couple of strange things out of the ordinary. One day at four in the morning, I got a call from production manager, and he said, don't bother coming into work this morning. The set is burning to the ground right now as we speak. It was an old building. There were pigeons flying around up there, and the theory the insurance company believed paid off and paid off on was that one of the pigeons flew into a light box, unquote. This, along with others, occurrences caused so much unrest with the cast and crew that an actual Jesuit priest from Georgetown University was called in to bless the set and in return was given a small role in the movie. I think he played a pimp. The problem with all of this was the, the real devil on the set was in fact William Friedkin, the director whose obsessive attention to detail literally tortured the cast and crew. He lowered the temperature on the set to the point where their breath steamed and the shots, and this was before digital post-production, and everyone was fucking miserable the entire time they were filming those scenes. And they put 13-year-old Linda Blair in a contraption to make her demonic flailing seem realistic that actually fractured her spine. And then did not stop production of this because fuck it, she's 13. And it wasn't just Blair who was damaged. Ellen Burstyn, who played the mother in the movie, was pulled so hard in one scene that the stunt rigs broke her butt bone. Oh, fuck my coccyx. The voice actress who gave Reagan her evil voice. Eh, eh, he said it, he said it. No, it's a different, different Reagan. I'm talking about Linda Blair's character name. The voice actress who gave it such a distinctive sound was so abused by Friedkin, by Friedkin that again, from Cinema Scholar, quote, stage and film actress Mercedes McCambridge was brought in to provide vocals for Reagan's possessed voice in The Exorcist. Friedkin and McCambridge both decided to take things to the next level. McCambridge, a recovering alcoholic, chain-smoked, swallowed raw eggs, and drank whiskey in order to harshen her vocal performance. Friedkin, to get a more convincing performance, arranged for the actress to be bound to a chair during the recordings. This was so her vocals had the struggling quality to them, and because the character of Reagan was also bound. McCambridge later complained about not receiving credit during the film's premiere, and the Screen Actors Guild eventually stepped in and made sure that she was properly credited for her iconic vocal work, unquote. Your mother sucks cocks in hell, Paris, you faithless slime. There were numerous other mysterious incidents, including vehicle accidents, a bit player murdering someone, and a church across the street from a theater show in the movie that only <laughs> that caught on fire after a lightning strike that only added to the legend of the curse. Of course, this was not the work of the devil who had washed his hands of the movie after the contract dispute, and everything that happened can be attributed to that thing that is most commonly associated with any endeavor with large numbers of people involved. You see, total coincidence. Freakin's obsession and cruelty, however, created what is wildly held as one of the greatest horror movies ever made. Quoted on Wikipedia, quote, Stanley Kaufman in The New Republic, quote, This is the scariest film I've seen in years. The only scary film I've seen in years. If you want to be shaken, and I found out while the picture was going on, that's what I wanted, and then The Exorcist will scare the hell out of you. And Roger Ebert wrote in the Chicago Sun-Times, I am not sure exactly what reasons people will have for seeing this movie, Surely enjoyment won't be one because what we get here aren't the delicious chills of a Vincent Price thriller, but a raw and painful experience. Are people so numb they need movies of this intensity in order to feel anything at all, unquote. And Ebert liked the movie. That's just how fucking scary it was. As I said, this is not a story about the movie. This 
is a story about the impact of the movie on pop culture, and the movie, it, uh... You scare the shit out of those people. Because when it premiered... 6 a.m. Day after Christmas. 1974 to a hype that had people lining up and freezing weather outside theaters in New York City and waiting online for hours in the freezing rain. This was before Star Wars or Jaws. There were riots when tickets were sold out for a showing of this movie. A 1974 New York Times article describes the scene, quote, They lighted bonfires at their waiting post on 2nd Avenue, Avenue between 59th and 60th Street to keep warm, littered the streets with food wrappings, got into fistfights, and annoyed shop owners and apartment dwellers who didn't like their entryways blocked by a great wall of humans. Once, on a Friday night, they even stormed the cinema when it looked like they weren't going to make it inside after a four-hour wait. It was like a riot, said Ralph Bailey, one of six, night, six nighttime uniform security guards at the theater. We had to cancel the showing. Mr. Bailey, by the way, said he had been offered as bribes as high as $110. This was in 1974 dollars to let people jump to the head of the line. Scalpers were getting 50 bucks for a pair of tickets. It's been reported that once inside the theater, a number of moviegoers vomited at the very graphic goings on on the screen. Others fainted or left the theater nauseous and, and trembling before the film was half over. Several people had heart attacks, a guard told me. One woman even had a miscarriage, unquote. It was so widely believed that this movie was so scary that according to Wikipedia, quote, in 1975, the Journal of Nervous and Mental Disease published a paper by a, by a psychiatrist documenting four cases of what he called cinematic neurosis triggered by viewing the film. In all, he believed the neurosis was already present and merely triggered by the viewings of the scenes in the film, particularly those depicting Reagan's possession. He recommended that treating physicians view the movie with their patients or help him or her identify the sources of their trauma, unquote. Did any of this actually happen? Survey says, eh. Yeah, some people probably did run out of the theater freaked out. A few people got a little queasy and did some people claim to see heart attacks? Yes. But the sources of the actual freakouts exist entirely within the Vox Pops for local news. There's no fact-based evidence that the exorcist caused deaths, miscarriage, or psychiatric episodes at all. But, as we've learned through the years of this podcast, that has never stopped the news from saying this was the case. Because this is the kind of thing that gets ratings. Look, I shoved my head in a popcorn bucket watching Jaws, and I said that I was too afraid to sit on the shitter for six weeks after seeing it. But did you, you know I was lying, right? They're, they're just like the local news during the Exorcist panic. It was a genuine cultural phenomenon, to be sure, and the movie is, or it was, scary. But the legend of the movie just isn't backed up by any kind of hard facts, which, of course, just makes people believe in those lies even more. And the movie dropped right into this roiling cultural landscape and fucked shit up. The 60s counterculture freaked out the squares and the age of Aquarius opened the minds of the youngs and it left a devil-sized hole in the brains of the people and the devil parked his big black Buick right in that spot. Nice car. Yeah, it is. He drives a sweet one. I mean, fucking shiny black. America had become a fairly secular place since the last gasp of the spiritualist movement post-World War I. And while it was still a very religious place, it was not big on the mystical aspects of religion. Even the Catholics in America had become kind of blasé about Beals and his boys, considering them to be a metaphorical evil, and Protestants barely consider the devil real at all. Believing in Satan as a physical present was the domain of weirdo sects of evangelicals like the stake handlers. And the exorcist changed all of that. The devil is real. 
Park, as Parks from the last podcast on the left, openly attributes the exorcist as causing the satanic panic of the 1980s. And I agree. And you know who else believes that? Joseph Laycock, doctoral student, Department of Religion and Theological Studies, Boston University, who wrote in the Interdisciplinary Journal of Research on Religion an article titled The Folk Piety of William Peter Blatty, The Exorcist in the Context of Secularization in 2009. The abstract of the article reads thusly, quote, William Peter Blatty's novel, The Exorcist, has been linked to changes in lived religion in the United States and to a popular revival of demonology and exorcism ministries. This article considers the historical context in which the novel was written and suggests that The Exorcist presents an early critique of secularization narrative by referencing the folk piety of American life world. Peter Williams has described the American religion as a dialectic between the ecclesiastical religion and popular religion. With this in mind, I argue that the exorcist represents a cultural moment in which the perceived decline of supernaturalism inspired a resurgence in folk piety. To audiences in the early 1970s, the medley of Catholic demonology, popular occultism, and parapsychology in the exorcist came as an appealing antidote to rationalized religion and secular social order, unquote. That was a lot of words. The article is linked in the show notes, and it's an interesting read, even for the layman, such as myself. And I do suggest you check it out. But I'm going to summarize it here as quickly as possible. The Exorcist book and the movie touched the nerve of the American public because our society had become so secular. American culture has always been deeply religious in a way different from the more formalized and cultural hegemonic ways of Europe. There's always been an appetite for different interpretations of dogma. See the Mormons, the Seventh-day Adventists, Scientology, and, of course, QAnon. And coming at the tail end of a massive cultural upheaval in the 1960s, the rank in the final of the faithful was psychologically prepared for a regression of religious thinking, but didn't want to think of themselves as regressing. Therefore, they saw The Exorcist as entertainment and as a religious experience. In effect, it was spiritualism to the ectoplasmic boogaloo, with a veneer of Catholicism. Or as Laycock put it, quote, when Blatty's novel was published, the decline of religion was a reigning paradigm not only for sociology, but also the general public. The Exorcist was written in 1969, only three years after Time Magazine ran its famous cover asking, is God dead? Hint, he's not dead, because he never existed. A Gallup poll taken in January 1970 indicated that 75% of survey respondents thought that religion was losing influence. This is the highest percentage ever recorded since Gallup began this poll in 1957. I argue, and this is Laycock, that the exorcist came as a declaration of folk piety at the time when Americans were looking for an antidote for the narrative of universal secularization, unquote. You'll take notes and later on there will be a test. Oh, well, we, we, since we're having a test, here's another academic article in Sage Journals by, a, by Amy Chambers. Quote, the intensity of the exorcist cultural impact stretched far beyond its powers to overwhelm audiences. As W. Scott Poole argues in the late 1960s into the 1970s, there was a moment in American cultural life when the devil occupied the place in public discourse. Serving as a character and cumulative site for a variety of cultural narratives in the 70s, often including mistrust in the institution of both science and religion. The exorcist tapped into the fears of the zeitgeist, including invasion of societies by others, individuals, groups, or ideologies, and the disruption of morals, minds, and bodies of America's future, unquote. In short, the movie, and by proxy, the devil, became a real thing in the lives and culture of this dumb, dumb country. It did not take long 
for churches to see that this sort of thing could work for them. Initially, the Catholic Church was guarded in what it said about the movies because some within it felt the movie desecrated the ancient rituals of the faith. But officially, the church took a distant, if slightly disapproving, take on the film. Protestants, however, denounced it as utterly sinful. Billy Graham, the evangelical shithead, said the movie was, quote, a sort of spiritual pornography pandering to man's innate superstition, unquote. <laughs> this coming from Billy Graham? Sure. But out in the trenches, some weird shit was going down. An Atlantic Magazine article in 2018 said, quote, One Catholic exorcist I spoke with was around for the film's release, and he believes that its success revealed a latent aspect of American character. It confirms something deep in the popular imagination, said the priest, who asked that I not use his name so as to keep his identity as an exorcist private. Very visceral, very irrational, beyond science, far buried beneath medicine and psychology. This huge fear that these things are true, unquote. What's wild is that so many of the people who went over the cliff on this whole possession business weren't Catholic, whom one could think might be predisposed to buy the bullshit. But truth is, many of the people who suddenly started believing that the devil was not only here, but be here to... I'm ready to party with the best of them. Weren't fucking Catholic, but evangelical Protestant. I went looking for hard numbers on exorcism before and after the movie, and I found it beyond the research budget of this uh, low-rated podcast, so I had to take what I could get from the anecdotal and the modern. Quoting from a 2000 article in the New York Times, quote, As recently as the 1960s, Mr. Quaino said exorcism was all but dead and gone in the United States. It was a fading ghost long past its prime, he added. People weren't running to get demons expelled. But in 1973, the movie The Exorcist changed that. The movie recently released spurred an onslaught of movies dealing with demon possession and Satanism. By the mid-1980s, there was a proliferation of exorcisms done by evangelical Protestants, unquote. The Exorcist movie and its sequels and ripoffs, like Damon the Omen, began to be reliable money at the box office and in book publishing. Reports of requests for exorcisms began to rise, and the fundamentalists of all the faiths began to use them as a sort of cockeyed recruiting tool. Reports of demonic activity began to be treated credulously by ministers and lay people in evangelical churches, and then eventually by mainstream society. In 1980, a book called Michelle Remembers hit the bestseller list, in which a young woman and her therapist tell of her experiences in lurid detail as a victim of a satanic cult, and it became a pop culture phenomena, smaller than The Exorcist, but more pernicious because the people who believed this steaming pile of bullshit <laughs> believed that it was utterly fucking true, and some of those people were named Geraldo Rivera and Oprah fucking Winfrey. Michelle Remembers is its own show topic, but suffice to say that The Exorcist shook the beer can vigorously and then Michelle remembers, pop the top, and spew the satanic panic into the zeitgeist, and it has never fucking gone away. Exorcism today is incredibly popular, not just with the Catholics and evangelicals. <laughs> no, those aren't the only people that are casting out demons. New Age mystics are waving burning cooking spices over the fucking heads of naive dipshits willing to fork out good money for bad chance and some crystals. 
And every single bit of it can be traced back to a fucking movie that continues to scare the shit out of everyone who watches it even today. I mean, not me. I, I watched it last week with 30 years of atheism under my belt, and I didn't get fucking scared at all. But still, it was a good movie. But you know what? When I did watch it, I, I mean, I got into it. I, I, like I said, I didn't believe any of it. I didn't, I didn't fucking have a miscarriage or, or heart palpitations. But at one point in time while I was watching it this week, I thought, I need an old priest and a young priest. And I cannot stress this enough. There is no such thing as the devil. What the hell did you just say to me? Yeah. I said it. It's all some made-up bullshit. It's all good fun to watch a movie and get all scared. And it's funny to talk about the devil being real and doing cheeky and fun shenanigans. Evil shenanigans. I do it all the time, dropping a Hail Satan here and there or talking about how me and the Darkwood are drinking buddies and that's cool. But when it comes, to, <laughs> comes down to it, people are being killed. People are being killed doing exorcisms today in March of this year year a three-year-old little girl was killed during an exorcism why did they think this three-year-old child was possessed well according to an article in npr she would quote wake up and scream periodically unquote she was three fucking years old i'm 53 years old and yeah i wake up and scream periodically but there ain't no fucking spirit in me that didn't come out of a Jameson bottle. They starved this little girl. They strangled her to get the demon out. And the only demons in this story are the deluded fucks who murdered this child. This happens all the time. I mean, not, not as often as, say, some chuckle fuck shooting up in elementary school, but still several times a year. And the devil didn't do this. Morons did. In this case, evangelical morons. But, you know, secular exorcists are out there, too. And they probably don't kill as much. Mostly, they're just on the fucking grift. And I'm not saying that the exorcist started all this. That's the kind of thing. It's, it's just as old as religion itself. But the, up, the exorcist updated it for the modern world and made stupid people susceptible to the idea that the devil is real and wants your soul. And I grew up an evangelical. And before this movie, the devil didn't get your soul by inhabiting your body. He got your soul by causing puberty and make you touch your naughty parts. Then this movie comes along and all of a sudden people, otherwise rational people, or so I thought, were willing to believe that Lucifer was willing to debase himself by inhabiting the body of some fat fuck in a trailer park. Even if the devil were real, do you think they're going to demean themselves by inhabiting the body of an unemployed truck driver in Salinas, Kansas? Fuck no! The devil is jumping in Brad Pitt or Leo DiCaprio, which, okay, that that is actually something QAnon believes, which is just another thing that exists because this movie opened this fucking can of worms. And it's all these stupid stories about a movie that made people believe it was so fucking scary that the actual devil must be involved somehow. And again, aside from some screaming viewers running out of the theater or sporadic vomiting, which mostly came during the medical procedures, not the possession scenes, they were all wildly overblown for the 1974 version of Clicks. It was a marketing campaign, and it was a brilliant one, but it was just a marketing campaign. Because if there were a real Satan, and there isn't, they wouldn't be working in Hollywood or the music industry because Hollywood and the music industry are already working for them. They would be working in marketing 
or maybe a consulting firm in Washington, D.C., because the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was making mass media the tool of a marketing department with bullshit tales and wild speculation. And that's how I know that the devil isn't real, because America will believe anything they see in an advertisement, and if the devil existed, we would all be happy members of Satan Co. or ordering our cheap and pointless shit on Beelzebub.com instead of Amazon, because there's no way that a competent fallen angel would not brand themselves with a discount code you could get on a fucking podcast. That's a promo code WTH666 at checkout. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That is it for the show this week, and we have kicked off Spooktacular 2022, and oh, pod friends, we... We have such sights to show you. Except, you know, it's an audio medium, so you won't actually see anything. As you might guess, we're doing the devil this year, and this little movie is just the beginning of our diabolical fun. Next week, we're going to talk about the devil and heavy metal music because all the good metal bands worship Satan. Then we jump right over to little Richard Ramirez, the devil-worshipping serial killer. He wasn't actually a devil-worshipper, but was just really into ACDC. Then we bring you the guy who made devil worship fun and sexy in the 60s, Anton LaVey, and wrap it up with a guy who was not at all a devil worshipper. Everyone just thinks he was. Alistair Crowley. It's going to be a hell of a good time. Now, do all the things Jeremy tells you to do in the closing or he will be forced to incarnate the beast and release his infernal vengeance on all mankind. And trust me, no one wants that. So for me, Dave, oh, it's so nice to see you all inside my dreamy little world. It's so nice to be with all you lovely little boys and girls. Let's so, producer, make yourself comfortable. My place is so divine. Don't you think I'm wonderful? Say yes, you're, you're on my time. What the hell are you talking about? Gavin! And all the fictional Ouija board users on this show, we want to say, stay away from Captain Howdy, because seriously, that's that's how that little girl, Reagan, got into all this trouble in the first place. We're also pretty sure of that Ronald Reagan's nickname was Captain Howdy when he was deep dickin' Nancy. We'll see you all next week.
What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.